Jeff on the rookery end. Away at Stoke, Mike. Half time at the moment. We've just started the podcast, but what a first half. Interesting first half. As I was saying, Durandi is next to me. For the first, really, for the first half an hour, we looked, I thought we looked like a promoted side. We looked like we were inferior to Stoke. They looked like they were what they were doing. And uh, it was a real struggle for us. But then uh, there was an incredible passage of play when we hit the bar twice in the space of 2.3 seconds. <laughs> um, and now it seemed to give the fans a bit of belief and also the, the, the team. And uh, admittedly, uh, Dean, there was, a, there was a mistake by the centre-back. He slipped to, to let Dean in. But what he did do, you which was... Take those chances. Well, Mark, what was great, to. what was great, even from this distance, was that he took his time, readjusted, and slotted it home cool as a cucumber. So, yeah, I think... Uh, Moffat came into it after half an hour, sort of 35 minutes, but it was a concern up until then. But the sun's just come out as well, John. As we're talking, the sun's come out for the first time since about six o'clock this morning. So we'll enjoy half time. Won't get too carried away, obviously, because there's still plenty of work to do. There's so much to do and so much uh, threat from this Stokes side. They look so neat, compact. When they move forward, they move forward with a bit of sort of intensity and um, they look like they know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but we've hung in there as, as we've tried to do so far this season and so far so good uh, we are from the Rookane I'm John with me Mike you just heard from uh, Andy Mike's brother's with us at our way to the Stoke Geordie says well Geordie you weren't as convinced about that first half Mike's thinking we were great for half an hour I thought we were good in, a, in, a, in, a, in the way we aimed to set ourselves up to defend and stop them but I think when we got it back you saw that Stoke were very good at what we're good at as well and they gave us very few options to pass the ball around so they had more possession and when we got it, we were giving it away very quickly. That said, we hit the bar twice and we scored. And that's what, that's what matters. So, so, you know, it wasn't an awful performance. We weren't annihilated. But I think we need to, we need to be a bit sharper when we get it. So we're so, so desperate to chase the ball. And when we get it, we're a little bit out of position. And the other, other players who are used to playing in the Premier League, they're used to the turnover position being immediately alert and closing us down. So whoever we pass it to immediately has, a, has someone on them. If the pass isn't great or they've got to try and control it because it's not a perfect height. So I think just that, if we can if we can annoy them a little bit more, then that'd be great because as the game goes on, we're only one up. We know we can defend very well. The longer that stays the same, the better for us. I think you've got to be grateful for two things. Personally, being behind the goal, I'm grateful that Gomez's kit isn't flesh-coloured because it's got that kind of chaps effect on the shorts and <laughs> it'd be quite horrible. And the second thing is that um, I went to the loo before the game and when they started bouncing, I was really grateful for that. So <laughs> that's about it. Well, we, we, we'll see how the second half goes and we'll call the podcast on our way home on the train back down to Watford. Come on, you on. And the game finishes 2-0 to the Glory Hornet boys. Um, it was a great away win at Stoke-on-Trent. And uh, Mike, you, um, what did you notice about the front cover well, of the programme? I think we got away, not just, we've obviously come home with the away with the three points, which is amazing, but I think we got off lightly by looking at the front of the programme. Juf, Juf, he's got fingernails that, are, that would put sort of RuPaul to shame. <laughs> Wolverine? Yeah, Wolverine, they're absolutely appalling. They must be... They must be half an inch long, some of those fingernails, and he's celebrating with some of his teammates, and they're sort of recoiling in pain. It's just, 
ghastly scenes. <laughs> Glad to be on the way back from Stoke, quite frankly. And we've, we've made it through the, made it through the other side. Um, you know, this is the last podcast. We've had the three uh, 0 loss at home to Arsenal. This two 0 win. Uh, away at Stoke-on-Trent. Now, let, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, look, I'm keeping it up. The interesting thing is, is, like, comparing, let's say, Watford across this season is, is us going forward. I remember being away at Manchester City and there just was no going forward. I think the tactics and formation was one, four, six. No one was going forward. There was no sort of impetus to go forward as a team. Um, that certainly changed... Let's, you know, a like-for-like like comparison of top four to top four team uh, last week against and against uh, Arsenal, didn't it, Andy? Yeah, I think um, you've obviously got some comparisons there because they're top four, but obviously we're at home against Arsenal, and we're slightly more experienced in the Premier League when we're uh, playing Arsenal. But Man City, I mean, it was really disappointing because you just the, the ball was never in the Man City half, was it? It was it was extraordinary. It, it wasn't really pleasant to watch, to be honest. We obviously let in the two goals. Well, first goal quite quickly at half-time and then it's game over and, and we never really changed the game at all, really. Um, obviously, Arsenal, slightly different kettle of fish. We've had a few more, uh, a few more games since then and we look, we look comfortable and, and, and they're playing Igalo up front with the Dini behind, which looks like a much better, a much better way of going, going forward. And we look threatening at times and I think comparatively you can't compare the two because we set up differently and we we had different results. We were still stout in defence and and strong in defence and frustrated Arsenal. It still never really looked like breaking the deadlock. It was never like lots of close shaves and things like that, which is is a sort of, you know, not only against the bigger teams, it's a a slight frustration against all teams at home at the moment, I think um, it would be fair to say. Much better performance against Arsenal, obviously. I feel a lot more confident and even though we lost 3-0, it wasn't a 3-0 game. Arsenal stepped up a gear. We dropped off a little bit, but um, yeah, looking forward, I think it's positive. I I think it's important to revisit the Man City game now because I think we can do that with a bit of context. And I think Andy's absolutely right to point out at the time it was disappointing and it was sort of, we're not used to seeing Watford sides not going for it. And we absolutely didn't in that that game. The, the, The game plan was to stop them scoring and that was it. But having with a bit of hindsight, with a bit of context of how Watford are going about their, this season, we kind of understand now that that was potentially the right thing to do because every game like it has been the same to a degree. Keep it tight at the back, try and get a foothold in the game and then try and grab something. And every single game has been the same since then. And we're just on the, on the way back from Stoke. and Stoke on Trent? St- well, Stoke City, John, for the love of all things holy. Stoke City. FC to give them their proper name. We've taken three points. Let's not take the name of their football club away from them as well. Against Arsenal, the first 20 minutes were really, really difficult. And I think the same today. I think I, I turned to Andy today and said, we look like a promoted side today, I thought, against Stoke for the first half an hour. Because we were just having, we, we were just hanging on by our fingernails, just, just tr- trying to stay in the game. And that was, that was as good as it got for, for half an hour. And it was similar against Arsenal. It was... To a lesser degree, we had to we had to sort of deal with ten minutes of intense pressure to start with, but we got into the game and we got into the game against Stoke and today we come away against with three points against Arsenal. We didn't. We came away with nothing but more than a than a kudos, I guess, for for putting up a decent shout. But the Man City game, I think, come, does fall into context now because we can see what we're going to what we're going to try and do. We're going to carry on trying and do it, and it's proving to be successful. We what we now sort of thirteenth in the division, thirteen points. Uh, a decent, you know, ten points clear of the bottom bottom place club, 
So whilst it's not, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not, we're not Barcelona, but we're functional. And I think we're starting now to understand what this Watford squad is all about, what Kike Sanchez Flores is all about. And we've seen today, seen against Stoke, that it can deliver. And it's so exciting. How is it different, Jordi, from last week's Watford uh, at Stoke? How do you think we acted differently? I mean, obviously, they're very different opponents. Stoke are much bigger, more physical side. Obviously, aided and abetted by a referee who basically gave everything every time they were touched. Whereas Arsenal are much more technical, much better players. Although, obviously, Stoke awfully, often provide, cause problems for Arsenal when they play. To Mike's point, where we looked like a, a team that was hanging on for the first half hour. I think if, if we'd conceded then and we'd lost the game and it hadn't changed, we'd have gone, oh, that's an awful performance. You know, Stoke's, Stoke's always used as the hard place to go. Can they, can they hack it in Stoke? And it wasn't a particularly nice day. It rained a bit and we, we proved we could hack it. Uh, but it was, it, it was because we didn't concede in the first half an hour. After that, it was as if uh, you know, we hit the bar twice. So we came closest than them, but we were, our ball retention was appalling. Uh, in the first half an hour whenever we were getting the ball because we'd worked so hard to get it the player who got it had no options and was quickly closed down against Arsenal it was, it was always going to be difficult and anything was going to pick us off but today because we didn't let that first goal in whether it's after 70 minutes or after 30 minutes it gave us a chance to then say hold on a second we could probably give these guys a game so, for the f- so then we took it to them Had a, I think those two chances where we didn't score and hit the, hit, the, hit the woodwork maybe gave a little bit of a raising adrenaline maybe spooked Stoke a little bit that these guys could hit us on a counter-attack we got the goal and that put us one up and, and then we seemed to play the same as we played in the first half in the second half but 20 yards further ahead which meant that Igalo and Dini were winning the ball uh, or Abdi was winning the ball rather than the defenders and, and then you know the second goal came from the strikers winning the ball laying it off to a midfielder running through so rather than having to build the move as soon as we got the ball from the centre-backs we were building it from the central midfield and that meant that because they were out of place Abdi was able to get the second goal but I think if, if you look at what was different it was against Arsenal the coin landed in Arsenal's favour and they got the first goal and against Stoke the coin landed in our favour and we got the first goal and that those very small instances against Arsenal when Kapue uh, was, went down at the edge of the box and didn't get a penalty and they went up and scored that went against us and today the defender on his backside, Dini sticking in, went for us. Obviously much more to it than that, but I think 90-minute game can be decided or have be hugely influenced by a very small incident that happens. And in the, against Arsenal, we got, we got done uh, and then got taken apart by a much better team when we had a little 10-minute aberration. But a team who then went on to beat Bayern Munich and has beaten Man United, to give it context. Against Stoke, I think these are the games that are, that are more heads or tails where we could come away with wins and, this, and, and winning against Stoke is exactly the kind of game we need to be looking to win winning against Arsenal is nice for bragging rights and for shock value but it's not to be expected a win against Stoke is to be hoped for rather than expected but, when it, but more likely to happen in my view so I think that that's the main difference that we just we got the rubber to the green today we look much better and, and, and we were comfortable in the second half today is probably one of the most comfortable second halves I think we've had. The fact that Shakiri went off along with, uh, I can't remember his name, but the other, one of their other flair players, and they brought on the old guard of John Walters and Peter Crouch, it's credit to Watford in terms of what we did and what we made them have. They had to change what they were doing to, to even get a sniff. Let's have a think about the next test, Manchester United. So we've had Manchester City, Arsenal, and now we've got Manchester United. What do we have to know and learn, or what can we do even, do we bother even, against Manchester United to try and get something from that game? Yeah, we absolutely do. We carry on doing exactly what we've been doing, because the proof of the pudding is, is, 
is in the in the, in the eating. We're where we deserve to be in the table, and we've done it by sticking to a very, very clear and very, very obvious system. And there are a lot of people coming away from the Arsenal game saying, well, that's another game. We've scored one... We can't avoid the fact that we've scored one goal at home. And, you know, if you take that in isolation, that is a horrific stat. But look at, look at the points we've picked up, and that outweighs, outweighs goals. And there are a lot of people grumbling after the Arsenal game. Well, not a lot, to be, but a, a little undercurrent of people saying... We can't, you can't expect to survive in the Premier League if you're not having shots on target or at least you know, buying a ticket to win the lottery against, against a team like Arsenal. And, all right, to assert on one level, that's absolutely right. You do need to, to create more chances to be in the chance of scoring more goals. But that's not what this team does. That is just, it isn't what it does. Uh, and so against Manchester United, against... Um, whoever it's going to be, Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea, who we've all got coming up over, over Christmas, could put the final nail in uh, Mourinho's coffin. We are not going to change, and why on earth should we? We are incredibly hard to beat. Arsenal, the, the sc- people will look at the scoreline and say, Watford lost 3-0 and had one shot on target. It sounds pretty dismal, but, but in, the, in the wider scheme of things, in a, in a campaign where we're trying to stay in the Premier League, I get that the performance against Arsenal is far more important than the results. And we weren't far off. We weren't far off possibly doing something. So what, what do we do when United come? We do the same again, and we do, but we do it a little bit better. Um, if Kapu doesn't, doesn't get fouled slash fall over on the edge of the Arsenal box, they don't score then. So if that's Man United and he doesn't fall over then, then maybe it's us that breaks and scores. So we carry on doing what we're doing. We don't change anything. We, have, I mean, we're on the way back from an away win, so everyone's always excited. But surely now what the fans are seeing enough when other teams around us are losing week after week. Norwich got humped six, was it six? Six two at Newcastle. And this is Norwich who is supposed to be sort of comfortably in mid-table. We went to Newcastle and won and we did it playing the way we play. We're not going to change. Sanchez Flores isn't going to change and we shouldn't. And we shouldn't fear anyone. We shouldn't fear not winning games and we shouldn't fear not scoring because we will when it counts. Stoke, probably one of the hardest away games you might have looked at on the calendar when it came out about back in July. Mike, um, the, the interesting I've had over in the thought I've had in my mind over the last couple of weeks is the plan B. What happens? Substitutions. What do we do when things aren't quite right? That did look like the difficulty coming away from the um, from the Arsenal game, and I've been have been quite bullish in in the pod so far, and I think quite rightly so. I'm quite proud of what what Watford have done so far this season, but I think the Arsenal game didn't. You don't look at the opposition, you look about what what Andy. Uh, well, I sat next to Andy, my brother, during the game, and he said, "How do we change this? How do we switch it up? What do we do to to make a difference on the game when you are one nil down, two nil down?" And, and, and the answer is it's, it's very difficult because I don't know what the plan B is. Plan A, as I've said before, is working and is working fine. It's like a big sort of monolith machine that's sort of crunching through the, the Premier League and doing what it has to do. But when we need something to, to really change, I don't know what the answer is, is the honest answer. And what, what, it, what this does give me opportunity to say is I was a little bit disappointed 
with the way that some of the Watford players reacted when we did go behind against Arsenal. It looked like some of the shoulders did slump a little bit. Perhaps understandably, they're having ring, rung, uh, rings run round them uh, by a team who was all of a sudden full of confidence ahead in the game, and, and we're obviously going to go on and win the game. But I think some of the way some of the Watford play, Sebastian Prudder was a funny one. He looked to me like I hadn't seen him like that. He looked like a beaten man for the first time this season, and in turn, that didn't help the likes of Ibarbo and Burkhouse when they did come on, and uh, and they're guys that. I think Burkhouse is certainly one that we've looking looking at for the future. But Obarbo is is someone if he's going to be in the Watford squad, he needs to be someone who's making an impact now, because otherwise there's no point in having a player that that age come in. Um, and I think they were let down really in that in that 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 afternoon because they were surrounded by players who were beaten, and that was the first time Watford looked beaten, beaten. If you know what I mean, they're obviously going to lose the game, but they look they looked they looked almost like they'd given up a little bit. And I think. The struggle that Watford got, uh, Watford have got, is that some of the peripheral players. How are we going to get them to, to make an impact? How are we going to get game time in their legs, but valuable game time? So, all right, Burkhouse played what was it, 15 minutes on against Arsenal? Might be more, might be a little bit less. But really, we didn't learn anything about him, and he didn't learn anything about his teammates because we weren't at full throttle. So. That was that was disappointing, and it didn't help answer that. As far where I'm sat, unanswerable question really. Jordy, did do you feel differently about the substitutions today? I think the big difference with the subs today is that we were we chose to make them. Uh, you know, we, we we did them from a position of power. We were winning the game. Uh, we 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 decided what we wanted to do. Against I think against Arsenal, as Mike said, you know, I, th- I think the games against the top four, and particularly Man City, you look at in isolation. Um, because those games you don't expect anything out of, so it was difficult for whoever came on. You know, anyone who's going to be on the bench not starting is there's a reason they're on the bench, and that's going to be half of them to come on. Today was different. Um, we we reacted and were able to make the decision we wanted, so we could take off uh, Anya, take off Igalo, and so on. Uh, take off Abdi, you know, and bring Predes on, so that we've got actually two fullbacks on the right hand side. Because obviously they'd brought Crouch on, so they were going to be trying to get balls in the box. So if we could stop them coming in, it was it was us reacting and us adapting. It wasn't us trying to change the, the game as such. It was us trying to stop the opposition changing the game. Choices choices in our power. Yeah, I mean the thing I noticed today is that we probably saw a world record with substitutions because Shakiri went off at one point and Peter Crouch came on. I don't think there's ever been a bigger disparity in height between the substitutes uh, of who's gone off in a game and come on in a game because I think Crouch is about four times taller than them. Um, and, that, and that, in a way, showed that there's a, they, they had a different game plan which required different types of players. Shakiri, we were discussing, actually looked like one of their better players. Um, but obviously, for their, for their plan B, he's surplus to requirements and Crouch was required and Walters was required, whereas our plan B, if you like, was... Let's conserve energy. Let's not let them into the game. Let's play this out. So we'll bring on Guedjura, a midfielder. You know, we'll bring on Paredes, and so on, and 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 see the game out. So I think I think the big difference is that today we, the subs came onto a team that had something to play for and was playing very well against a team that was a little bit beaten and was trying to change against Arsenal. As Mike has said, our, our bubble had been burst, and you know it, it was almost unfair on Burkhouse and Ibarbo to expect them to do anything because almost when you're, I think I think. Kike's, or I think we've all accepted that against the big teams, what we don't, what we want to avoid is a shoo-in, and I think that is partly the reason we went so defensive against Man City. We, we accepted we were going to lose maybe because nil-nil was going to be hard to come by, but we'd rather lose two-nil than lose seven-nil uh, so early in the season uh, and get the plaudits for going for it, but getting mugged completely off and, and losing all confidence. You know. Bournemouth kind of did against Man City. 
well, to, to an extent, and you know, and you could say you know, Newcastle um, stuck six as we, as uh, I think Mike mentioned earlier against against Norwich. But no one's given us a shoe in, uh, and that's that. Although when we're at a game, we're focused on winning that game as fans. I think maybe the club and the, and the management team look at it as more as a season and say, you know, what, what we don't want to do is go into the next game absolutely beaten and go away to Stoke on the back of a right or spanking from Arsenal. So the subs came on because Kika had to try and change it. But the reality was, if, if anybody had come on against Arsenal when we were 2-0 down and on, out on our feet and changed it, it would have been... You know, it would have been a hell of a performance to do that in 20 minutes. So it was, it was a little bit difficult for them to come on. I think today the difference was people coming on with a very clear objective. Everyone was fighting to the last minute, and Stoke were struggling or trying to find, trying to roll the dice to change it. And and obviously, we our job was to stop them. And it's often easier to stop goals going in than to stick them in. So the thing I liked, Andy, about Stoke was almost like clearly they made two substitutions, two very different players, and they went, "Look, this is our second roll of the dice." They were quite clear about that I don't think Watford have got a clear plan B how on earth do we get one can we get one I don't know is the honest answer um, I think it's a question that, we, that we've all asked and like Mike was saying earlier it's something that I said to him about when, we, when we were watching Arsenal is you know when we go a goal down how do we come back from that and I think, in on, in honesty, I think I don't think we have a plan B, but I think that and that relates to the subs that we've got on the, the people we've got on the bench in terms of an attacking force on the bench. We've got Diamante, Ibarbo, Berghaus. None of them, fair enough, haven't had, had much playing time, but none of them had a, ever had an impact. You know, you want when someone comes off the bench, you want someone to sort of show a bit of spark and, and give fresh legs and a bit of energy and sort of invigorate something and make something happen. It doesn't matter whether you're 3-0 down or, or, or whatever stage of the game it is. You want to see, you know, that change in game. Whereas, you know, we don't seem to have that plan B where, um, you know, we've got actually a theory or, you know, a way to play when it goes wrong. Um the subject of plan B if you look at the formation we play with the 4-2-3-1 I think the, the biggest opportunity to change or to change things up is we normally would start with Gerardo and Abdi who are tactically or technically very good ball retention uh, kind of players who can create something um, but they're not players who are going to skin a, a fullback and get the ball in a box now we haven't got strikers who are going to replace um, Igalo and Troy at the moment so the only positions I see where there could be a change in the way we play within the formation personnel strength wise would be to maybe put Ibarbo and your Burkhouse as, as wingers and, and, and try and stretch the game that way but I think there's a plan B naturally people think it's going to be with different personnel I think if you're at the Stoke game today what you saw was Watford kind of plan A for the first half an hour which we realised that actually this Stoke team we could probably we could probably take them and the same players played but the way they played was slightly different and we what we said right we'll do exactly what we're doing now but we're going to push we're going to do it 20 25 yards further up so rather than sit back and let them try and play it out and then and then steal the ball in defense and then lose it very quickly because we haven't got options it was like we're going to we're going to we're going to attack them uh, and so the same players can play 
uh, in the same formation, but the way they go about their job changes. So I don't think plan B is, is it going to be um, Ibarbo instead of Gerardo? It is what we're asking Gerardo to do, or what we're asking Abdi to do, or what we're asking Dini to do, or even Kapui, where we say to him, actually, you know, Watson is more, you know, or Barami, look for him. I want you to carry it. I don't want you to pass it. I want you to carry it instead of only passing the opposition's half so that you're running at them. And I think that really depends on how we've identified weaknesses in the opposition's defence uh, and the stage of the game we're at. And the other thing is that I think it's a bit of a misnomer expecting a player to come on, a Watford substitute to come on and completely change the game. And What if that substitute was called Matty Vidra? Well, and the other one we've heard, John, over the, over the last 24 hours is Forestieri because, you know, he's scored for Sheffield Wednesday, he's doing well for them and obviously he's in people's line of sight, there's no Watford game on, so people are watching him on Sky, he's doing well for Sheffield Wednesday, but he's a Sheffield Wednesday type of player, I think he's a championship player, and to expect someone like, to, to I think he's incredibly naive, we'll never know, but to expect him to come on away at Stoke and to and turn the thing on its head with his trickery, and that doesn't happen, the game is so much bigger than someone twinkle-toed coming on and just doing a few sort of step-overs and tricks. I love Fernando, absolutely adore the fella. But I don't think he would have been the answer today. And what about Vidra? Well, he, he, I think with Matty Vidra, he wasn't prepared to toe the line. And I think it's been made very clear how Watford are going to play. If he was going to be sat on his hands, if he wasn't going to be a, a first-team player, he would have been miserable. And I don't think a, 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 um, a miserable Matty Vidra is, is, is someone anyone wants to be. But I think in terms of plan B, I think what we've seen, we saw a bit of it today. We've seen Watford evolve into a better football side today. Because when we went 2-0 up, I was thinking, oh God, if we let one in now, it's going to be really, really difficult being sort of pathetic football supporters, sort of worrying about what hasn't happened yet. But what actually Watford did do, we went 2-0 up and we put our foot on their throats. And we went going, we kept going, we kept going. We read the game, we read the situation, we recognised that we had Stoke, a difficult team to beat at home, up against the ropes. And we thought, right bollocks to it let's go for it this is our time and they, they, they adapted to the game and they did that was the plan B they were more attacking they were more committed to the final third um, and it's like crikey geez, do, do we not want to be defending a little bit more let's just hold what we've got but that of course is the best way of holding what you've got go for it and so what, what was the great thing about the Stoke game was just the, the way that we've evolved as a squad and that's what we hoped we'd see from Watford I think is that when we played those first games and we were not conceding, but were, were, there really was a paucity of, of chances. You know, West Brom, Southampton, Swansea, we only had the one. But we thought, we, hopefully this, time, this side's going to get better because they've only been together for a couple of weeks, in effect. And today sort of showed sort of the, the, the buds, the bursts, the, you know, the first shoots of, of a team who's actually confident in itself, confident in that uh, they've done the first bit. They've pulled themselves back into the game. We, we looked like the championship side today, I thought, for the first half an hour. We looked like a promoted side. It looked difficult. But do you know what? They didn't give up and they stuck at it and they got a foothold in the game. And, it, and against Arsenal, it only was a foothold, really. We didn't really create much. But today, we got a foothold, and then we turned that foothold into, into more. And then once we went 2-0 up, and we, we, they were on the back foot. They were rattled. The home fans were disappearing after 15 minutes. You start seeing the logos on the uh, stadium in the background yeah. or something like that. And that's, that's plan B, is, is evolving, getting better as a team, as a squad. And who needs a plan B if you can do that, if you can react to the game as it happens in front of you, um, then... We don't need one. That is, that's it. You evolve, react, deal with it, and and we did. I agree with that. I think. I, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from our performance today, and I think 
sort of almost cross purposes here in terms of plan B. You know, we were 2 0 up and we changed, we made substitutions, which were managed substitutions, as you say, John. But when, what I was talking about and thinking about a plan B in terms of changing the game when you're actually behind, how many times have we gone behind and actually made anything out of a game? Have we? Come, I don't think we've come behind from a goal down or anything. And, and you know, don't get me wrong, <laughs> I think we're, we're, we're having a, a good season. Today was brilliant really really enjoyed it and and the guys were absolutely fantastic out there today but i think we just need the, and and this perhaps is just going to come from a bit more experience and a bit more game time for players i said to mike last weekend the leicester went 2-0 down you go oh, i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to be there. i wouldn't be uh, whoever they're playing because Sunderland, you know at 2-0 down because they come back they change the game you know it's it's having that that adaptation to just sort of um, have that spark to to change something and I think we're lacking that off the bench at the moment we've got players who can consolidate and 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 change the game in a way like they did today where they made us much more solid and we look very very comfortable but you know it's in those uh, Man City's Arsenal games where we go we go a goal behind who's going who's going to be that 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 spark because we play the same as we have we were before we went behind how do we change that? How do we have that? That that have we got that energetic spark? I don't think Diamante's it. He's, he's looks like a hairdresser, but um, bad one. Stylist. No offense, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's just having that having that spark and and, and, and something and maybe forestry area might might come into people's minds in that, but I don't think he would be the answer. But you know. Time will tell. We, these players have got to settle in, and, and we've got to give them time. Barbo hasn't been here long; he's been injured as well. So, you know, he's meant to be, you know, the quickest player on FIFA or something. But, um, you know, let, let, he's got to have a chance to to do that. But I want to see that. I want to see us in future matches. You know. So what you're saying, Andy, is that you want us to go behind against uh, West Ham and win? <laughs> well, I'd love that. <laughs> well, that's it. That, 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 as long as we win, as long as we win, that's fine. But but we, we need to go behind and, and battle and uh, come back into a game. Yeah, that's the, that's the next. We haven't had, like you said, you, we haven't, uh, we haven't had that test. In the first half. Have we? No, all season. And you'll find very fewer teams with with more with few, find very few teams with more clean sheets than we've had. And clean sheets are important. I think I think there's a danger that we're we we sound a bit negative and when we're absolutely not. And I I do I do I do think that. As a football supporter, you want if you're not if things aren't going right, you want something to change. I just think it's a lot, lot more difficult than that, and we should be enjoying what we're seeing unfold in front of us. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. October twenty first, twenty fifteen. Back to Future Two Day. Uh, when the first film came out, I couldn't be more excited when Back to Future Two came out. I was in the line. I wanted to see it, um, and that was the future I wanted. It hasn't arrived yet. Friend of the podcast, uh, David Garrido, tweeted a, a, a league table from 1985 when Marty left before he arrived in 2015. At that point, Watford were 11th in the first division. And things have changed since then. Watford are two places lower in the top division of English football. And that's all that's changed in Watford's history since then. I don't think we'd ever change what's happened. It's been a lovely roller coaster, and that's sort of the fun thing about, about games. I tell you what's changed squad numbers, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but Glenn Johnson was wearing number eight today, and that shouldn't be allowed. 
<laughs> we've had we've had the Bosman, we've had uh, an adjustment to the offside rule. Um, we've had uh, international players. Goal-line technology is, is arrived. But, but let's let's think about the next 30 years. When Marty jumps another 30 years in the future to 2045, what do you want? How do you want football to be different, Geordie? <laughs> to be a bit more serious <laughs> in, in the answers. I think I think if we look back to um, to when Marty left in the 80s and compare it to now, the role of the football club in the community was very different. The way football fans were treated was very different. Obviously, since then, we had Hillsborough, the Taylor Report. All these things changed. The Premier League's come along and we, it's become a huge business and English football is awash with money. Um, and before, clubs lived off the fans to a degree and the chairman might be a local man, made good. Now you're getting these billionaires um, coming in, you've got all this money coming in and players coming in from around the world. The only thing about the club is is the geography. And I think clubs can do more from a kind of a corporate social responsibility point of view and say, well, before we represented the community because the people who played on the pitch were all born within a certain radius or the man, you know, and so on and so forth. The manager was local. Now I think the clubs can say, well, we, we represent and we do something for the community and make it a bit more, you know, get kids involved. Support, you know, like Watford do. Watford do it very well with the kids and the, the, the ladies' team and stuff. But stuff like that, where the, where the club bring the price down. People are talking about twenties, plenty. You know, how much do fans really need to pay to go to a game? How much do, do um, shirts need to cost? I think make make football more accessible to the next generation, but also do something for the community where it is. Whether the manager, the owners are Italian, the goalies are Brazilian, you know, the striker is Nigerian. It's Watford, and we feel that sense of community because it's our club. But I think that should be something that kind of pervades all clubs, uh, and and so that the, the club represents and stands and builds the builds the town it represents. Deep meaningful there. One of the things that sort of really bugged me for a long time is that everyone says, "Oh, people people have never watched as much football. We've never seen as much football. There's never been as much scrutiny. There's never been as many eyes and cameras on on football matches." And that's true. Yet still, as a, as a as a football supporting public and as a as a media, there's so much rubbish spoken, and there's so much rubbish put up with, and and football supporters are almost quite apathetic to it, and they don't. I think it's because usually you might win one and then you'll win you'll lose one the next week, but then you win one after that, and so you're prepared to put up with it. But but stuff like diving and you know contact means a foul you know and you hear you hear ex-professionals on tv or on the radio saying well he's touched him there he's got a right to go down it's like well has he really has he these are six foot four they you know they would you know if you walked up to him in the street and did what happened on the football pitch would they go down like that of course they wouldn't of course they wouldn't they go down like been hit by a truck and it is an absolute nonsense yet there we are sitting in front of the match of the day oh it's contact there he had right to go down. The ref, the ref had no option but to give a penalty. If you get tripped up, you've tripped like an absolute sack of spuds. You go down like a... Like, you look awful. You look ridiculous. I've done it. I'll probably do it when you get off the train. <laughs> you don't go down like that. It's, law, it's the thing, it's law of the physics. Hang on, I haven't finished. <laughs> and we just sit there and we're all as guilty as the next. We're happy today because Watford have won. But there was a, an array of baffling decisions giving today and they won't be they won't be talked about on match of the day they won't be talked about amongst Watford fans because we're happy because we got the three points but if we'd lost we'd have been saying what, what you know what that like, tickled him from behind and he's gone down like an absolute like an absolute you know whatever and I think as football supporters we have a responsibility not to put up with not to be apathetic not to you know if you want banal stuff, 
which you obviously don't because you're listening to From the Ricky and you want, <laughs> you want hard hitting stuff. But that, that's fine. But do you really want to just hear nonsense? I don't think we do. I think most of us are sensible, football-loving people, and it's killing the game. If we put up with it, then then what? what you know, and 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 Geordie mentioned about ticket prices, which is important. Everyone talks about it. Well, I'll still go to the game though because you know I support my club, and only now, only now, are people really starting to take a take a take a sort of. Um, militant approach and we saw Bayern Munich at Arsenal sort of miss the first five minutes but they still come from Germany and they still saw the game so there's got to be a better way people have to be more vocal about what quite frankly is really really naff and our players are as guilty as any but why should we put up with it and there's more football on the TV so more opportunity to say look at that it's ridiculous stop it all of you See, my thing I want to get less of is of the little bits of football it's the minute clip of a, of a goal from outside the box. It's the silly vine that gets sent round and round and round. It's not more football in terms of a, a, a longer game, but actually it's the minute 15, 10, 5 seconds. And people like get obsessed with those little moments and watch them over and over again, which might lead into your, uh, your over-analytical side that football can be. Andy, what would you change? Um, yeah, I think we've been a bit light-hearted so far. So... Uh, um, <laughs> I think referees, in all seriousness, should be on hoverboards in the future. 30 years from now, I think it would make it far more entertaining. You know, they couldn't make it happen for 2015, but watching a referee whiz round on a hoverboard <laughs> would be brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You've got the chance of them falling off, which would be great. Every football fan loves watching a, football, a referee fall over. Brilliant. Um, and, yeah, I think it would also um, get the youngsters into it. We keep banging, we keep banging on about um, getting referees into, uh, youngsters into refereeing. Well, give them, give them a hoverboard. They'll do it. They'll do the, it. Ar- the answer to football's Ills. problems is referees it's on fo- hoverboards. It's not just football. I think hoverboards would solve... Everyone's problem. It's going to make everything great. Come on, you want it? I follow it. What furniture? You have some interesting chats on the train on the way up to Stoke on Trent. We had a conversation about 542. Duck-sized Anthony McNamee's with inhalers taking on a horse-sized Wolf Sterling. Um, it was a quite a heated debate, but Jordy, you had some good ideas about if there was a fight between 542 duck-sized Anthony McNamee's against one horse-sized Wolf Sterling. How, how, would that, how would that go? I think that the choice of player is important in this because of the characteristics they have. If we spoke about the likes of Tony Coton or Glyn Hodges, if they if they were horse-sized they would have no qualms about stamping on uh, you know because they were quite quite tough quite tough characters I don't remember much about Royal Sterling as a whether he was an aggressive kind of player I don't think you know he was more of a winger um, and, and so being horse-sized obviously if whenever he grew tired because of the relentless onslaught of mini McNamese would eventually t- cause fatigue the size difference would allow him to kind of get some distance between them and then when the McNamese kind of came for the next wave of attack they would be needing the inhaler and the give and give the horse size Royal Sterling a chance to stamp I'd, I'd, I'd say stamp rather than kick because I think, I think a kick if you kicked it you could kick like 
20, you'd, you'd, it's almost like you'd knock one, kick, yeah. tick, tick, kick 10, they would knock another 10, you'd take yeah, out 20, 40 maybe. I've been bowling. Yeah. You've been bowling. I, th- I think the reason kicking is, 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 is assumed is because of the kind of association with horses, but we're not saying he's got the abilities of a horse. Oh, so he's a footballer. Yeah, but he's a footballer, but I think he could kick. a footballing horse. If he can't kick as a footballing horse, then he's something. He's not a horse. He's the size of a horse. I think that's an important important thing to (laughs) notice. And so, you know, if he starts kicking, you know, I think stamping or or just running through them, because obviously the... But the McNamese would almost have to have a suicide uh, front. (laughs) He would go in to tire out the the horse-sized Boral Sterling, I think. So unless they came to some kind of consensus as to who's going to be the first wave of fodder, basically. (laughs) Warrell fodder. I, th- I think the, the McNamese. I think I think Sterling would, would be able to pick them off, uh, and he'd tire him out. But like I said, if he needed a rest, he could kind of run away to some distance. Off. Well, Gallup again. He's, he, he's still he's still on two feet, isn't he? Because he's still Warrell Sterling. He's just a bit bigger. So and has he got a tail? Maybe we could uh, ask someone, one of the players from the 80s. Did Warrell Sterling have a tail? <laughs> I think that's something that's. It's never been raised, so I'm assuming he didn't. But um, I'm sure that would have been raised by now if Wall Sterling had a tail. Speaking of tails, uh, <laughs> um, you know, people talk about football as being particularly wealthy and you know not caring about the community. But it was kind of nice to see that um, Arnautovic, the Stoke player, has a second job, and he's pretty much, I think kind of cornered the market in Staffordshire for, Zl- for Zlatan alikes so if, if, you, if you ever want like you know if you like I, mean, I think Ekstrand might have called him out on it if he was watching it and saying you know what, you, you're not the real Zlatan um, but it's clearly that awful top knot thing he had on was was I, I, I would I'll be more embarrassed expensive I'll be more embarrassed by that than losing 2-0 to a newly promoted side I mean it was it, it was it was it was embarrassing maybe that's why um, Prodal didn't play well Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why Britos played because I mean he he wouldn't take that kind of nonsense. We know he's not a kind of guy that takes nonsense. So he would have. So maybe maybe he kind of you know Flores saw the top knot and said, you know Miguel's the man today. I think a little I think a little ripple for Mister for Mister Britos because oh, not only did he not get sent off, he didn't even get booked. So presumably he's going to go home and sort of like break everything in his house because he must have so much pent up aggression and but fury. But I think that comes back to the plan B. You know, if what would what <coughs> would have? What, yeah, although <laughs> well, that's it. That's yeah. what, he is the he's the answer. What would have happened if we'd lost Cathcart or Prodal to injury or suspension? We you know we might have been a bit more panicky about oh this guy's going to get sent off. He's a liability. Actually, he's come in putting it against Stoke away, partly marking Peter Crouch, which is never an easy task, and didn't even put you know. He was bigger than a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think I think Britos coming in is a is a real uh, boon. It's a real some, another no, another uh, well, a boon. Yeah, you know, like a real positive. <laughs> boon. The British Empire. It's like it's like 1980s television. We're back to Marty McFly. <laughs> but when you know when we saw the team, it's like oh crikey, Prodel's been one of the. Prodel's been one of the most impressive figures. A big centre back is something that's quite soothing and quite. Um, reassuring and for, for Britos who's been out in the cold to come in and turn in you know he, we didn't really notice him really did you apart from when um, uh, Jorelio Gomez insisted on sort of playing those square balls instead of um, instead of kicking it long um, but the fact that he came in shows that alright it's proved to be a bit of a liability but the players we're bringing in by and large are of a high calibre this, this was a tough game in the Premier League one of what we would all said was our most influential players is on the bench and he's come in from the cold and, and has turned in a completely d- decent 
um, performance and, and his defender we got a clean sheet so fair play to him what you know just we've ended up there from sort of comedic elements if you like that's what you call it um, <laughs> but another massively positive if you had to pick if you had to pick a player I think we were a quarter way through the season you had to pick quickly pick one player who has been the man of the quarter mine is Prudes and that, maybe that, that, that's that well, feeling, that defence. Who, who would be your man? Mine would be Kapu. I think he's just been absolutely extraordinary since, since, since day one. I think he's done very little wrong. Um, he's, he's the player Spurs sort they, they, they signed. Andy, who's your man of the quarter? Yeah, I'm going to go Dini. People have talked about goal droughts and things like that. But he scored today. I think that's the start of big things. And he has been immense for us. He is an apt, you know, he, he comes off that pitch absolutely shattered every week. And um, he just... For me, he's, he's, he's been brilliant this season and, and, and led the team well. And I think without him, we wouldn't be the team that we are. George Gomez today, for example, he didn't he didn't do any worldy saves that you might see in the paper or you no know, match of the day. Definitely going to have the highlights, but no crosses flummoxed him. He got his fist on everything, got distance on it. And you know, if if we're kind of talking about how defensively strong we've been all season, that starts with a goalie. You know, Arsenal who we spoke about in glowing terms, had Ospina in goal for a game and everyone focused on that as the reason that they didn't have Czech's uh, reassurance he provided the defence. I think the, 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 the stone or the, or the block we're, our foundation we're built on is Gomez. We're quite way through the season. There's three quarters to go. Uh, this will be from the Rooker End. Thank you to Andy, thank you to Jordy, thank you to Mike. Uh, and we'll be back soon for more Watford Fun. Yes! <laughs>